Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome into Five on the Floor on the Five Reasons Sports Network, also on the Nothing But Net channel on Dash Radio. Also, make sure to check out fivereasonsports.com. Spell it out for all of our latest content. We put up anywhere between six and 10 articles a day. Everything is free, no paywall, and also all of the podcasts in our network, including Three Yards Per Carry, Ballscast, and Light Skin Opinions, all of which have put episodes out in the past couple of days. Also, check out the great sponsors of the Five Reasons Sports Network. That includes Biscayne Bay Brewing, the official craft beer of Inter-Miami and the Miami Marlins, and most importantly, we should say, Five Reasons Sports Network. This is South Florida's actual independent brewery. Biscayne Bay is owned by local guys who employ people in this community to make their beer right here in South Florida. These guys are committed to our community and to supporting Five Reasons Sports so we can keep bringing you all the local sports content that you can handle. If you care about supporting local business and drinking amazing beer, grab their stuff, whether it's Marlins Lager, Miami Pale Ale, or Tropical Bay IPA at all major retailers throughout South Florida. It's the beer we're drinking at Five Reasons Sports. Biscayne Bay Brewing. And now, today's episode. Welcome to Five on the Floor, a Miami Heat and NBA podcast from Ethan Skolnick with Alvon Sydney, a.k.a. ALF954. Brought to you by the Five Reasons Sports Network. Welcome back to Five on the Floor on the Five Reasons Sports Network, also on the Nothing But Net channel on Dash Radio, where you can hear us every day from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern and 7 to 8 a.m. Pacific. We want to bring you a little bit more X's and O's stuff, a little bit more strategy here on Five on the Floor, and honored to be joined today by Steve Jones Jr. Um, I got sort of very attached to his Twitter account recently, and because he's been putting up a bunch of heat stuff, so... We're checking that stuff out. Um, Steve, go through your background a little bit for those who don't know, because Alex and I were trying to figure out, you have here in your bio, Owen 2 is a head coach in Summer League, uh, which I, I know you probably want to get to 1-2 and two at some point. Who was that for? That was for Brooklyn. Um, that was my last year. The summer before my last year in Brooklyn, I was on the coaching staff for Summer League. I coached one game in Orlando. We lost. I coached one game in Las Vegas, and we lost. We did both summer leagues. And so I lost two games in two summer leagues. It was great. <laughs> so you can't even go back and fix that record in Orlando because, I mean, they're playing the games there now, but they're not playing summer league there anymore. Like, you can't even remedy that situation. Yeah, right? I'm permanently winless in the Orlando summer league that doesn't exist anymore. Thank <laughs> you for reminding me. <laughs> no problem. Also played Division One ball at UNLV and ASU. And five the man is props. UNLV is a big program. I I, I know UNLV is a big program. Wait, to be an jo- NBA assistant coach, like this guy is. I, I, well, jo- Joel Anthony and Derek Jones Jr. So what what uh, what years were you at UNLV, Steve? I was there. Let's see. I graduated in 2010, so 2008 to 2010. Um, so I was before Derek Jones Jr. I was after Joel Anthony. So I was in between. But I was aware of both of them. Those are great guys. You know, the ties run deep. So um, Joel's great. (sighs) Man. And I know Miami fans, they still love him, right? Well, not only that, I mean, I I think there's going to be a statue at some point for the warden. Were were you aware that the the, the nickname was the warden down here? The warden? How did he become the warden? I just (laughs) want to, just quickly. Uh, Because he locked guys up. Okay. All right. There we go. That makes sense. That was, that was, I mean, we love Joe. We loved everything about Joel except the hands, everything else, (laughs) like the, the energy, the blitzing, the pick and rolls, his attitude, like Joel's a great dude. The hands, not so much, but everything else. If he, if he had good hands, like he would have started in the NBA for a lot longer, but he was really blitzing pick and rolls in like 2009, 2010. Mm-hmm. As a center, he was pretty good. Yeah, at he looked like a he looked like an alien out there, because that wasn't the thing, and he was doing it at a high level. So yeah, just a, he was ahead of his time. I'll say I, that he, he was, and they kept trying to replace him. It's funny that it, both at, at, during the Big Three era, 
at the center position and the point guard position, they kept trying to replace Joel and Rio. And Joel and Rio were really tight. Wrong like that, and wrong. Right, and, wrong, and every time they tried to replace them, it was a mistake. Mike Bibby tried to replace him. It was a mistake. Tony Douglas, Carlos Arroyo, every Ray for Alston pre that, every time it was a mistake. <laughs> and with Joel, it was like, what, McGlore, Dampier, Turioff, uh, Ilgowskis, Curry, Curry uh, <laughs> uh, Dexter Pittman. And the only guy who was consistently effective of that entire group was Joel. Uh, so, Birdman. And Birdman. Yeah, well, we didn't mention Bird. That's right. Bird was effective. All right. So we got Steve here uh, for a little bit of time, and, and we're going to get into some X's and O's stuff. And there's three primary things with the Heat that, that I really want to focus on with you because we've seen this stuff play out over the scrimmage games and then the games against Toronto and Boston uh, in particular. But let's start here. It's clear that Duncan Robinson is on every scouting report at this point. He is not a secret. Um, you saw what Toronto did to him where they basically, I mean, they took him away completely and it's and to the point that Eric didn't even play him in the final six minutes even when they needed shooting at the end of the game because he just wasn't effective we saw him break free a little against Boston how does Spolstra how do the heat continue to sort of free Duncan Robinson how much of it does he need to do himself and how much of it can be just things that they put in in terms of the scheme well they're gonna keep running actions for him that's important for them one to get him loose and two just for their offense it's gonna give them some movement so they have a shooter they can run offense for, run them off screens, dribble handoffs. They can run um, kind of the deceptive actions that Miami likes to run. So they're going to keep running offense through them. The key is just going to be how much more are teams going to pay attention to them? Because Sacramento did not. I don't know if they forgot. It was the first game, whatever. Um, but anytime he comes off the screen, he's getting attention, which is a positive um, but also a negative because if he's not getting open, then, you know, you have to keep going through the next option, keep going through the next option. Uh, the good thing is he doesn't need a ton of space. He is making a couple plays as far as if he catches it, making a dribble, making a pass and capitalizing on that attention. So it's just going to be, how can they get him loose? Can they continue to, you know, work uh, through defenses, switching, just blitzing those actions? Because ultimately if I'm a defense, I'm saying I'm going to switch I'm going to take away the Robinson catch. I'm going to make you run something else. Mm -hmm. So Miami has to be ready for that, uh, come with some counters. And, but I think they're just going to continue to run with and do what they do and make sure they get Duncan Robinson open or at least run something to get the defense going towards him so they can open things up for other people. So uh, I tend to agree with you there. I think that conversation is something we're going to end up kind of, we're going to keep talking about it over and over again as the season goes on into the playoffs, because as we saw with the Raptors and I think, the Raptors have the best defensive personnel in the league, so I don't know if everybody can replicate it to that effect, but you saw they kind of set the blueprint there. If you shut down, if you deny Duncan Robinson, as in don't even let him get the ball, don't make sure he's, you know, you stick him all the way, you kind of prioritize him and let everybody else beat you, even though they do have shooters across the board. You say, we're going to let Ke Kelly Olenek jack up shots. We're going to let Jay Crowder and Kedrick Nunn and, even Tyler Hero, we're going to let them jack up shots, but we're not letting Duncan shoot. And I think that really gave the Heat a lot of issues. And I don't think that's something – I don't think it's an overreaction to one game. I think when you look at the numbers and you just look at their formula all year for the seventh best offense has been Duncan Robinson. So do you think that's something that it's going to end up going to – you know, they're going to end up running a lot of counters? Do you think it's something that they're going to run into that could really be their weakness in a playoff series versus the, the, the Sixers or the Bucks? Are you in that same – does that mess with their ceiling? Um, yes, because three-point shooting is really important as Miami Heat team. So Duncan Robinson obviously is a great shooter, and what he brings to the table as far as getting going just opens a lot of things up. So if teams are taking him away, it not only takes away the shooting, it takes away the rhythm of the offense. So that's something Miami does have to worry about. Um, and then obviously offense is he's – he's farther ahead on offense than he is on defense. He can contribute on that end, but that's not necessarily a strength. So if he's getting denied and he's not scoring, not shooting, not creating opportunities, it's tougher to play him. You know what I mean? So that part is probably more concerning than getting him open, if that makes sense. I, I want to switch over to another sort of big part of the Heat offense. And obviously Duncan Robinson plays off this quite a bit, which is the dribble handoff game, which – Spolstra started to use quite a bit with Kelly Olenek, you know, dating back about three years. And then 
you know, you just happen to draft a big from Kentucky who does that at a very, very high level. And now they have two bigs. And in this case against Boston, they started them together and Kelly played more than 30 minutes who are doing that for, for sort of the lay person um, who isn't breaking down film, but is just kind of watching this. H- how important is, is the dribble handoff game to the heat and why is it so effective for them, you know, maybe as opposed to other teams? Well, I think it's huge for Miami. When you have these bigs who can execute those dribble handoffs, you can continue offense. You can move the ball from side to side. Um, you can create threats and, and make the defense guard in a different way. Guarding a dribble handoff is different than guarding a pick and roll. You see a pick and roll coming, you can get to your scheme. A dribble handoff, it kind of comes a little bit quicker. You may not be particularly ready for it. And so you have guys like Bam who can fake and drive to the basket, who can continue offense, move from side to side, and you allow your guards to be able to make more plays and get downhill quicker than if they have to create on their own. So that's really important for Miami, uh, in my opinion. And I think that those dribble handoffs are key. Those dribble handoffs um, really help their flow, and they have multiple guys who can do it, which is key because Miami has a diverse lineup uh, they have a lot of guys who can get in. They have a lot of lineups they can throw out there, but they can run the same things because of their continuity. So being able to have Bam who can do it, Kelly who can do it, even Myers Leonard who can do it, that helps the whole team be able to flow no matter who's in the game. We can still run our same stuff, and that's really key. A lot of teams, depending on who's in the lineup, they have to run different things. They can't necessarily run to the same level. But Miami can have that consistency in that sense that, hey, we're going to hit the elbow. Someone's going to cut off. We've got screening action. We're going to create some movement, create some action so the defense has to make a move. And now our guards can make a play, see a read, drive and kick, force the rotation, and get a three-point shot. So I think that's something interesting here that you're talking about because their offense, uh, like I mentioned before, is a key to their whole thing. They're seventh in the league in offensive rating. And I think we were all kind of underestimated that coming into the season, uh, just how many shooters they had. We did. I mean, we definitely did because we kind of were projecting a, a starting lineup with Justice Winslow as a starting point guard, which we were all a fan of here on this show. And I'm still, you know, we're all still kind of hearkening back for that because he looked so good versus that that win versus Milwaukee, 27, 7 and 7 on the road in overtime versus Giannis without Jimmy Butler. <laughs> <laughs> I'm never going to forget that. But at the end of the day, they're here now with a team that's completely different. You know, they're middle of the pack in defense. They've kind of been good at defense since the bubble started. Uh, it's obviously only a three-game sample, but I believe they were sixth in defensive rating, ninth in offensive rating. What I was going to mention, though, was the drop and how all these teams deploy that in the East. And I think the dribble handoff is really important there, and, and it's why it's so successful because, you know, you keep going against these teams like the Raptors, the Celtics, the – Pacers, the Sixers, they all, the Bucks too, they all drop their bigs back to different extent. But I think that's something that's going to be kind of the key to them making any type of run in the playoffs. Do you think they have, I mean, they have a lot of shooting, but do they have enough shooting and a defensive balance to be a top 10-ish defense to actually be able to beat, let's say, the Sixers or even the Bucks? Do you think they have enough of both of those things, even if it's a small chance? No, they have a chance for sure. Uh, the best part of Miami, about Miami is their versatility and their depth. Again, they can throw different lineups out there. They can play two bigs. They can go small. They can be big on the wings, you know, one through three. They have a lot of different options they can go to. The key is going to be what lineups can Miami throw out there that can play both ends at the same time? Because they have off, they have lineups that can play offense really well, defense. It's and they have lineups that can lock up defensively, maybe not score as well. So I think the journey for Coach Spo and that team is finding the right combinations at the right times to execute and and really push forward. Because you can have a, a guy like Iguodala be a primary ball handler, uh, and then you have maybe Olenek at the five. But offensively, that may work. Defensively, you may be giving up something. So what happens is that's my biggest thing with them is they have to find the right lineups to make sure they can play on both ends. And I think over the course of the season, they've done a better job of finding the right combinations each game. But it is an each game thing. Um, Guys are in the rotation. Guys have also fallen out of the rotation. You know, look at Derrick Jones Jr., 
who's a key part, all of a sudden maybe not plays a lot. One game he plays a lot, he maybe he doesn't. So I think they just have to fight the right, find the right combinations to get that going. Basically, like I said before, the drop and the way that all these teams are using it. Okay, so there's a we, we all thought that they were going to get the Sixers in the first round before the bubble started because of Sabonis being out and all the people kind of being a little bit banged up still. And I, I think that's something that's obviously not as obvious anymore. The Pacers are, I, I want to say, two games ahead of the Sixers at this, at this moment. One and a half. Um, are you scared of T.J. Warren? One and a half. No. I mean, Jimmy Butler isn't. That's, that's for sure. <laughs> that's for sure. I mean, obviously the Sixers, the Sixers are, are just in a different level <laughs> right now. But it's funny because I actually wanted to ask about the Sixers. And that matchup something we've gone back and forth on all year. They drop, but they kind of overplay on the perimeter because they have the personnel to do that, the length and just smart defenders like Josh Richardson, who we're familiar with, and, you know, rookie Matisse Tybal. They, they've got, obviously, Ben Simmons. They've got just crazy perimeter defenders all over the place. Is that a matchup that you think is favorable for the Heat now that they have their Shake Mill starting lineup that I think makes it a little bit easier for the Heat to match up with rather than when Ben Simmons was at point guard and they had two bigs? I still think Philadelphia causes a problem or causes a problem because of their length and their size. Um, Miami can score, can create, but um, length can bother a lot of their wings and guards. So I still think Philadelphia can cause issues that maybe some other teams can't. Um, even with that new starting lineup, even with Shake Milton at the guard, they have, still have size, they still have length, they can still keep the ball in front. You can beat Philadelphia. You can score on them. I mean, San Antonio showed that the other day. Um, but at the end of the day, it's not the best matchup for Miami uh, just because of how they need to play. They need a flow. They need to move the ball. They need to be able to attack, suck the defense in, rotate. If you can't beat the man off the dribble, there's no rotation. If there's no rotation, now all of a sudden the ball's still around the three-point line and you're just moving it side to side as far as um, instead of going from, a, you know, north to south instead of east to west. So I don't love that matchup still, even with the lineup change. Uh, I just think it's not the best because of their size and length. Um, I'd rather I, I'd rather see Miami play Indiana from mm -hmm. that standpoint. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with you still, Steve. I, I do think that, and I do want to touch on some zone stuff with you, and, and also I want to get into something related specifically to Jimmy. Mm -hmm. but, but I do think, and, and we've had many people on Five on the Floor have talked about how the, the Sixers still have the highest variance of all of the, the East teams, that th there's an upside there that's undeniable, but there's also a downside where they're going to just completely beat themselves. Um, I, I guess, uh, and I got to want to get back to the heat here in a second, but what do you think in general of, of the move that Brett Brown made to go to Shake Milton after they were kind of defiant that Ben was a point guard and we're going to play two bigs and we're paying Al all this money and, and they've, I mean, they went into the bubble and they completely abandoned it. I mean, is it is it workable? We saw Milton was very shaky, no pun intended, uh, two games ago, and then obviously, <laughs> and then obviously made made the big shot against the Spurs to kind of save them from embarrassment. But I, I know they have internal issues. I get that, but just from a basketball perspective, does it work for Philly? I mean, can they get this thing together and actually make a run to the finals? Well, Philly's been in the same boat for a while now. Spacing issues, can they figure out how to use Simmons? Can they get the most out of Embiid? Can they get shooting together? And I think, honestly, the loss of J.J. Redick hurt them more than they probably expected. So they still have talent. You know, they still have Embiid, Simmons, Tobias Harris, Josh Richardson, Al Horford. That should be a great lineup. But the pieces aren't necessarily fitting in the puzzle so much. Even when they made this change, there's still spacing issues. Um, ben Simmons, are they spacing him on the wing? Are they putting him at the dunker like they used to? Um, and that's causing problems where Embiid isn't getting as free with the post-ups. Um, pick and roll, you're running for Embiid, but Simmons, they're still helping off of him. So there's still the same issues propping up, and they're kind of trying to plug that hole or, you know, kind of cover that wound, and they only have a Band-Aid. Um, so I think going forward, they're finding ways to score, but at the same time, it's not with a, a great flow, if you know what I mean. It's not with, uh, hey, we're dominating out here. It's, it's just tough for them sometimes. Um, and I don't know if they can be consistent with it. You know, you lose to Indiana, you almost lose to San Antonio. Um, so I don't know if going forward, this is the way to go because – 
you need Al Horford to be aggressive. And how many minutes is he going to get? You need uh, Shake Milton to play well, but is he really an initiator? You need Ben Simmons to be great, but without the ball, is he going to be as good as he was with it? You need Joel Embiid in the post, but if you don't have the spacing, how much are you going to add of him? So there's a lot of question marks with Philly, for me at least, that I haven't really seen the answers to. I haven't seen this lineup pop like they thought it would. And it felt like kind of a more of a short-term deal than a, a season saver, if that makes sense. Well, yeah, and, and that's why I, I want to transition here to Jimmy because if you look back at the playoffs last year, I mean, Jimmy saved them in a lot of situations, right? The ball was in his hands late in games, and he made a lot of the right decisions, which actually is a question with Miami lately because it started to trend downward with Jimmy in the clutch as the season went on in particular. And I have sort of an overriding Jimmy question, and then I do want to get back to the matchups, and I do want to touch on the Bucks heat matchup specifically with you because that's their next game and maybe the team that they see in the second round. Jimmy Butler said the other day on a call that no, if, if, if we win a championship, nobody's going to be talking about my jumper. We saw in, he didn't play in the third game. He's, he's got the ankle situation. We're going to monitor that. But in the first two regular games in the bubble, he took a total of one jumper. <laughs> I mean, he's not even looking for it anymore. Can the Heat thrive? And with all the things you're talking about, with the dribble handoffs and playing against the drop and, and, and trying, you know, and again, penetration, can the Heat thrive if Jimmy doesn't get them, not only doesn't get the mid range game back, but won't even shoot the mid range shot anymore? That depends on how the defense treats him. I think the biggest thing about the Jimmy Butler acquisition is he gave them a threat in those fourth quarters where hey, we know where the ball is going. We have to guard this guy. And so if defenses are going to ignore him, then it's going to be a detriment. But most, for the most part, defenses are engaged with what Jimmy Butler is doing. He gives them someone who's going to get a shot in the fourth corner guaranteed in a sense. So I would say that Jimmy Butler still adds to Miami in that fourth quarter in that we need a bucket, we need someone to create, we need someone to put pressure on the defense. That's something they were missing. You know, when you look back at last year, they were a competitive team. They were a good team. But in the fourth quarters, it was maybe up and down sometimes. Um, You bring Jimmy Butler in, now you have someone who a defense is always going to pay attention to. And um, offensively, that opens up more options for you. If if he's a threat, even if he's driving, if he's not taking that pull up, now the defense makes a move. You can be able to skip it and find someone. That's important. You know, even Toronto, when they played them – uh, you know, they were doubling Jimmy in the post, showing attention. And even if he doesn't take that shot, that's important for Miami. That opens up looks for other people. They just have to be able to move the ball and make those shots. So the thing with Jimmy to me is interesting because he's been – honestly, this has been one of his most most successful seasons when you talk about team impact and winning impact. It's – like you said, all those things you, you just mentioned are reasons why he's important to the team – Offensively, on defensively, we already know who Jimmy Butler is. He's a stout defender who's going to get out there uh, in the passing lanes and is, in general, going to motivate guys on both ends. He's going to, you know, he's going to do the right thing. But in this role that he's been put in this season, he's been basically the de facto point guard all year ever since the Justice Winslow experiment. I hate to bring it up again. Uh, failed. But uh, that's something that's like it, it basically changes the formula because you're relying on Jimmy to be the quarterback for the shooters, which is it is a good formula, and, and Bam is also involved in that with, with the screening, with his uh, kind of 1B point guard stuff that he does, because he does do a lot of facilitating as somebody who averaged five assists and who has the ball on the top of the key a lot. Is that something that makes it, that kind of messes with their overall success when Jimmy and Bam are non-shooters and they're kind of, you're always relying on the other shooters on the floor to win? Does that mess with them being able to beat the best of the, of the East if, the, you know, the talent isn't there two-way? It definitely lowers their ceiling, you know. Um, when they have those nights where defenses are locked in, uh, they're denying, they're forcing them to be stagnant, it definitely lowers their ceiling. But this is a team that can compete on both ends of the floor. And so when they can get in those situations, get in those fourth quarters, you have a couple options. You've seen Bam be more aggressive at times in fourth quarters. You've seen Jimmy Butler provide some things. Dragic isn't afraid of of taking a shot. So depending on the lineup, uh, Miami still has a shot in those games, even if they have maybe those non-shooting guys 
as you say, that are kind of operating things, they're going to be a threat. And the most important thing is for those two guys have to be a threat to the defense. If the defense is going to make them score one-on-one, it changes. But the defense is trying to take something away from those two guys, then it opens things up for Miami. And that's going to be the key difference for them going forward and in the playoffs. If they can get Jimmy to play at a level where defenses are not wanting him to do well and trying to take him away, that's going to open something up for someone they have to take advantage, obviously. But that's something they didn't have before. Um, Bam. Bam's emergence has been key, too, as far as those dribble handoffs, as far as taking shots. You know, he's not afraid. Do you think that huge thing is that even though they're not, you know, giving you offense on jumpers, Jimmy gets to the line at a rate just very similar to Harden. I think him and they've been kind of neck and neck all year. And then Bam uh, has always been number two on the team in that. Like, he got, what, 17 free throws the other night? Do you think that's something that keeps up in the playoffs? It could. You know, you never know who's going to get the whistle in what games. Uh, the bubble should maybe minimize some of that as far as maybe going to the home team or maybe going to the stars. But those are guys who are going to create attention, can drive to the basket, can create fouls. So that's something that's positive for the Heat. And they can drive, they can draw attention. And I think it'll be a positive at the end of the day. All right, we're going to go to break here in a second from one of our sponsors, and then we're going to get into Heat and Bucks. I want to introduce you to another of the great new sponsors of the Five Reasons Sports Network, and it is a sponsor that would be important in any time if you want to have a beautiful workspace, but it's especially important now when you need a safe one as well, and that's safecubbies.com, which offers modular office solutions designed to elevate your open office into a modern and safe environment at any budget. You can personalize your workspace with options like whiteboards, magnetic panels, acrylic sheets, and graphic branding. Most of the surfaces are non-porous for easy cleaning and can be removed or replaced within minutes. Now, this is for workplaces. They've got a bunch of different options on their professional series, but also they've got private room solutions, dividers and sneeze guards, and they have a classroom series as well. So if you're involved with the school, this is definitely something your school should check out, of course, if we have school in the fall. And that's the point here. We are entering a new normal period with COVID-19, safecubbies.com, which is locally owned is the place that you want to go. The phone number is 754-216-1071. Again, that's 754-216-1071 or safecubbies.com. All right, right back here on five on the floor. All right, Steve. So we've got uh, the Bucks coming up for the heat on Thursday and we don't really know what Dragic's status is going to be. Um, we may get an answer on that after we record today, in which case we may even update that. And obviously, we don't really know about Jimmy. And I've made the case that, you know, the Heat went in. They got two wins. They're two and one. If they get two more wins here in their last five, they're probably not going to fall to six. The probably worst case being that four-five matchup. Home court doesn't matter. And so I don't think that Spolcher should push guys too much. And I don't think he will. Um, I think he'll just play guys and see, you know, how hard, you know, get those guys to play hard. But I want to get into the Heat Bucks matchup with you specifically because there is a pretty good chance these teams are going to see each other in the second round. The Heat beat them twice, once without Jimmy, as Alex mentioned in overtime uh, earlier in the season, although their personnel was a little bit different. Um, Alinek had a big this game in that one too. Yeah, I, I, I think, but to look at that matchup, uh, it seems like we're not the only people in, you know, now in South Florida, we've been saying it, that may be one of Miami's better matchups against the better teams in the East. Uh, and it seems like others are now saying it. Do the Heat present real problems for the Bucks, or is this wishful thinking from Heat fans? No, I think they do. Um, I don't, it's obviously not a layup, but they have the length, they have the size, uh, and they have the uh, def- defensive mindset to cause trouble from Milwaukee in a playoff series. Um, the biggest thing is obviously they beat them twice. So they're not, I don't think they're afraid of them, um, but they can limit penetration. They can maybe limit some shots. It's going to come down to if Milwaukee makes shots against how Milwaukee, I mean, Miami guards Giannis. But I think that it's a good matchup for Miami. It's probably the best matchup for Miami in the sense that you probably rather play Milwaukee than Philadelphia. As crazy as that sounds. Matt Moore um, said the same thing. HP basketball. It just, it just, it, it sounds nuts to say, I know, but you'd probably rather play them because you know what you have to do. 
Uh, you have to handle Giannis, show help early, rotate, protect the paint. You got to bother Chris Middleton um, and, and then hope that the bench doesn't show up. And I think if Miami does that, they have a chance to win. Um, I think Miami can beat a lot of teams in the playoffs. It just comes down to matchups. Obviously, even the Boston game, they went back and forth, back and forth, but they were able to handle them. And they got zone in the back pocket. And we know how Milwaukee feels about zone. So I think Miami can cause some um, unique issues for the Bucks. I'll put it I that I think way. you can make the argument. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. You meant that they can zone the Sixers too. They could, but then can they score them on the other end? That's the that's the part. That's the key. So you think is the you consider the Sixers a a scarier defensive team than the Bucks? For Miami, yes. Because Milwaukee's going to play some smaller guys. Philadelphia can just put a bunch of height out there and cause some problems for Miami. Mm-hmm. That's because Miami. they're starting Crowder now. And before, they, they started Myers all season, and that was their kind of their recipe for the Sixers. They would put Myers on, on a B to keep Bam out of foul trouble. It seems that's going to sh- uh, shift now. You're going to kind of risk the, the foul trouble stuff with Bam there. And not only with the Sixers, but with the Bucks as well. Like, I don't know what their plan is going to be. Going into that, if Jay Crowder is going to be on Brook Lopez, and they're or if they're going to try to keep Bam on Brook Lopez, Jay Crowder on Giannis, as they kind of did with uh, Siakam and the Raptors. But Alex, I would hold but off. It, it on changes that. their. It oh. changes their, if if they're going to stick with that. Is what I'm yeah, saying. but 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 that's what I'm saying. I, I I would hold off on that a little bit because I I was thinking about this after we we did the pod last night. I, I don't think that Eric has necessarily thrown away the Myers Leonard starting lineup yet. I don't think I, he should. Well, I, but I, but I, I think it's more a case of he saw that for the season, and now okay, if if Myers wasn't in, you know, if, if Myers wasn't performing the way he wanted to anyway, and he wanted to take a look at how some of these smaller lineups worked and with some of the switching, that you take a look at it in these games. He has said he was going to experiment. Like, it wouldn't stun me if they get a certain matchup if all of a sudden Myers Leonard is back as a starter. Like, I, I, I know that he's kind of been pushed out of the rotation. But the other thing is there's a history with Myers, too. If you go back to the playoffs last year, he was pretty much out of the Portland rotation, and then all of a yep. sudden he was a featured player, uh, you know, for them. So I, I think they think he's mature enough to handle it. Um, I, I do want to get to that with some of the matchup stuff with Milwaukee, though, Steve, because – um, there's a couple of players for the Heat who, who were big parts you know, during the season. Who have, I mean, Myers isn't playing, and Kendrick Nunn is not playing well. Um, would you, looking at the Heat, uh, you know, my, and Kendrick may snap out of it, it, provided Dragic is healthy, would you make a change to the starting lineup? Because this is a hot topic with Heat fans right now. Would you start Hero maybe instead of Nunn? Would you even start Dragic instead of Nunn? Ooh, what's the beef? What are the Heat fans wanting? Well, I, I think the Heat fans want Kendrick to start playing like he was playing early in the season, right, Alex? I mean, it's – it's. I, well, I, I mean, I don't want to say that because I think he was pretty consistent all season and maybe he's been a little bit shaky during the bubble, but he's also playing the best defenses in the league. And I think that has a lot more to do with it as far – and also, of course, being out for, you know, three and a half, four months but uh, and, and being a rookie in these uh, pressure situations. But at the end of the day, like, I expect him to do well tomorrow, even though Eric Bledsoe's uh, all defense. I expect Kendrick Nunn to get up, you know, some jumpers against the dropping bigs. I think that's really his lane right there. I think that's why he's such a good fit with the starting lineup. But now it's like, if you're considering Hero and Dragic to both be more legitimate offensive creators and they both kind of give you a little bit more size on defense, at least, even if all three of them are not good defenders and maybe you trust two of them over none and which seems to be what a lot of people are feeling is that something you do i think that goron gives such a boost to the second unit that you leave him where he's at mm-hmm. and the key for kendrick nunn is to continue to be aggressive so he has to continue to be aggressive through the potential struggles if he becomes passive then it becomes a negative to me 
um, because that that lineup doesn't need him to pass. He, they need him to score. They need to make plays. Right. So I think Goron is really good with the second unit. You can always bring him back with the first unit, so he may not start, but he can close. I think you need to start Kendrick to see how he's doing, how he's going. If you get him going, that's another weapon. So you've got him going. you got Duncan off threes. you got Jimmy and Bam, the defense you're paying attention to. And so you have a combination that really puts pressure on uh, the defense early. Um, but to me, I think that um, if, you, if you start Kendrick – Again, it's just gonna it's just gonna depend on how he's gonna come out and play. If he's gonna be passive, it's gonna be a problem for Miami. There's no doubt do you, about that. Yeah. Do you put any stock into the hero thing as a starter? So I, they kind of are gonna develop him and they they prioritize him and Duncan Robinson more than they do Kendrick Nunn, or that's what we heard. Do you how do you that, feel about that idea of basically Jimmy is the de facto point guard and heroes out there as the two? I don't love hero with the first unit. You know, if, if Jimmy's starting, you got Bam, you got Crowder, you got Duncan Robinson. I don't know if you unlock as much of Hero as you can. I think, again, he's a guy kind of like Gorn right now that you can put with the second unit, give him some looks, run some offense for him, and see how he does. Um, because you can use him in different ways with that second unit. You can run him off screens, you can put the ball in his hands, have him run pick and roll. You can use him more there and then if he's got it going you continue to play him with that first unit as the game goes on i don't think you need to start him because if you start him he doesn't have anything now you're going back to none if none doesn't have anything now you got nothing uh, as opposed to um letting tyler be comfortable with that second unit and letting him go against some of those second units in, in the league i think that's a better look for miami right now mm-hmm. could it change obviously but with what Tyler's doing, I think he's been great in the bowl, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, with what he's doing right now, I wouldn't push to start him at this moment. I think you just the closing lineup him. though. The, <laughs> the closing lineup is interesting. Who's who's your dream five? Give it to oh me. man, it's, it's I think like it you read my mind. Game. Yeah. <laughs> Give it to I, me. Well, I I mean I think look, it's gonna be Bam and Jimmy every time, provided mm-hmm. that they're both out there. I, I think okay. it's Bolster's mind. I think it's Duncan Robinson is the third. He didn't use him again because Toronto took him so out of so out of the game. But like no I, other team ever has apparently. Right. I mean, I, to me, it's I, I think ultimately what's kind of in Eric's head in a, in a normal circumstance is Bam and Jimmy. Duncan is a third. Iguodala or Crowder, Hero or Dragic. I, that's to me. That's the seven. But the way Kelly played the other day, I mean. I think there are some situations where mm-hmm. maybe that makes sense. And I think – I mean, I can see Derek Jones hotter. Jr. getting some reps if, if they're playing a lot of zone and he's making things difficult on people. But I, I think those seven in that combination of the top three, one of the two smaller guards, and one of the two, you know, trade-added wings to me, I, I think that's probably the way he's leaning. No, yeah. and that's, that's, that's the beauty of my – they have so many different combinations they can throw at you. I personally think, I'm going to throw this out here, Bam, Jimmy, Jay Crowder, yep. Dragic, Iguodala. Mm. Mm-hmm. I think that gives you the balance on both ends. I think that lets you be smallish, switchish. You can kind of do some different things. Um, if Duncan has it going, that changes. But – if all things are considered, I think that may be a lineup you see out there at some point. What if you go – I like that idea because then you can kind of go an off- a quick offense-defense sub because my dream lineup is Jimmy out there with Bam, Duncan, Hero, and then probably Iguodala, who I trust a little bit more defensively, but who, by the way, uh, is not doing too much offensively, but on defense throughout the bubble has been very good. I uh, saw his numbers yesterday on some of the guys. There was a tweet going around from Chef Trilly, and he did a very good job on, like, three or four of, of Boston's guys, and it happened another night, too. But uh, basically, you could do a quick offense-defense up there if you take out Iguodala or Crowder for mm-hmm. Hero. And mm-hmm. I think that's kind of like what better action to put even more pressure on the defense to shake Duncan Robinson loose and throwing Tyler Hero in there, coming off a curl on the other side of the court and, or, mm-hmm. you know, somebody rolling at the same time, like somebody like Bam rolling or, or even Jimmy getting a cut. You know what I'm saying? Like it kind of allows for so much offensive versatility 
and then and the offense defense sub is right there that's something Spoles wanted to do and uh, has done in years past so I think we may see some of that how do you feel about that idea I don't I don't hate it and again I think it's it's the gift and the curse of what Miami is right now you have so many different options you can throw out there with so many different ideas but you got to find the right one so like and I'll throw this out to y'all how many times do you feel like there's a lineup out there that can really do well on both ends? Well, they don't have a lot of them. That's the thing. I, 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 think, I think what you're getting at is you're trying to create what we've kind of called it on here is the blended lineup, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I think what you've, you've hit on is, is, is a little of both. It's a hybrid. Uh, Jimmy and Bam are going to be out there, but Eric, the reason I think you may be onto something, that Eric always leans towards trust late in games. So it's pretty clear that there's a trust level with Iguodala, like that because he's always Crowder. been – And with Crowder. But I think it's – I think ultimately when it comes down to it, it's going to be more Iggy because he's going to lean on that what he calls championship experience. Um, and, and the other thing I think that we were – you know, again, I wish we had regular practices and this is something I could pull Spolstra, you know, on the side and ask him. My guess has been that in those four months, the three, four-month break – that he and Iguodala, who have a very sort of similar mindset about the game of basketball, they think it the same way, in my view, from what I know about what I've read about Iguodala and my experiences with Spolstra, is that there were probably a lot of conversations there. And Eric didn't have a time when they acquired Iguodala to really activate all that, but I think mm-hmm. you can see it happening now. So I think Iguodala is going to get the trust level, maybe even over Crowder, certainly over DJJ. And I think when push comes to shove, even though Hero got the most fourth quarter minutes on the team before he got hurt, I think it's going to be I trust Goron. And I, so I, I, I can see that's, – that's why I say I think his lean is always towards more experience. I'd agree. I have a hard time thinking that he won't have some combination of Goron, Bam, Iggy, and Jimmy Butler with someone else on the floor just because of how much he trusts the first four. And it's going to be interesting because, again, the advantage is if someone gets hot, someone's playing well, you can slide them right in. Um, but if someone's not, you have a different option to go to. And that's a, you know, that's a tough coaching thing to do, to be able to balance those lineups, to be able to know, hey, this isn't working so much. Let me get this person in and try and unlock the right lineup for the right matchup. So mm-hmm. it'll be interesting down the stretch. It'll be fun to watch. I, I want to project forward with you a little bit too. We're going to do a little rapid fire here before we close. So I'm going to, uh, I got, I got a few questions in my head, Alex, try to come up with a couple. Uh, but one I want to start with, there's been a lot of conversation about players that the heat should acquire down the road. Obviously the transaction is more interesting to people than the games. Okay. That's, that's where we are. Uh, put well, Giannis, I mean the big four, right? That's what Brian Windhorst said, said that there's like people the, 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 the a big four, the big four worried about that coming out from the bubble. Big four. Well, he says the bubble four. Well, yeah, the bubble four. Well, the Heat are going to be doing the Heat are doing their recruiting. They got their special room, and they got Bam and Jimmy hanging out with Donovan, and that's that's kind of what I want to. That's kind of what I want to get to. Recruiting room. That's yeah. Let's put Giannis aside, okay? Let's let's put Giannis aside because every team can use Giannis, okay? Obviously, but the two guards that have been discussed as possible Heat targets, who do you think is the best playing fit? with the current group. I'm going to throw at you Donovan Mitchell, Victor Oladipo, Bradley Beal. I, without getting into the contracts, I know obviously Bradley's situation is more complicated. Donovan's making almost nothing. Victor clearly seems to want out of Indiana or something's going on there. But just looking at those three from a playing fit right now, who fits best? Beal's number one. Uh, his shooting, his playmaking, the threat that he brings – that would elevate this team to another level. So I'd put him at number one. Uh, let's go. Donovan Mitchell or Victor Oladipo? That's interesting. I would say that a healthy Oladipo goes over Mitchell. Wow. Because he can not only score, but he can make plays. He can handle the ball. He can play defense. Donovan Mitchell is great. This is not a shot. But he's still developing that playmaking ability in the pick and roll. He's still developing defensively. He's a great player. I think for this team, I would probably take a healthy Oladipo over Mitchell. So I'd probably go Beal, Oladipo, Mitchell. Wow. I mean, that just 
that completely threw me off. I'm I'm completely shook because as the creator of hashtag all in on Donovan, <laughs> we're not taking this <laughs> very kindly. No, but the thing with Donovan Mitchell to me, I I, uh, I think he's kind of the the mix of what they need because I do agree that Beal right now in in the stages that we know these three guys is the best fit offensively. He is just I mean, you don't average thirty points on that type of efficiency with a roster like that for nothing. I mean, the guy is legitimate. Uh, he would be an amazing fit. But what I do think is that their offense is already – I do think they need another creator. So, although th- the offense is the strength that we know them to have right now. So, I would end up trying to prefer somebody who's got at least some point of attack uh, defensive uh, ceiling. You know what I'm saying? Somebody who helps them with that ceiling. Like an Oladipo, I, I think is the best one. But with his injuries and stuff like that, I'm not sure if if, if Donovan Mitchell isn't the better candidate given his age and – given what we've seen him do in the playoffs, uh, do you feel the point of attack defense is something that they need to prioritize? I didn't mean to disrespect your campaign. I'm sorry. So I apologize <laughs> right now. Um, I saw feel, the FaceTiming, Bam. <laughs> I feel like... And other uh, things. I mean, it's it's a hypothetical. Donovan Mitchell could add a lot to the team. But if, you, if you're talking about what this team does regularly, I think Oladipo helps. I think Beal helps. Uh, Donovan Mitchell, he needs the ball. You know what I mean? And so that kind of changes things. There's a lot of movement. There's a lot of things that can help in the fourth quarter, but he's going to need the rock. And if defense is locking him, put some height on him, things may be difficult. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how that would work. Um, I think that Victor Oladipo is tough when he's healthy. So I still think Bradley Beal. I think the Heat should get Bradley Beal. Bradley Beal in that culture would be amazing. Nice problem right. to have, huh? So yeah, right. I mean, any of any of the three of them would help. But to this end, what do you, in your view, is Tyler Hero's ultimate upside? Because I think that becomes. I mean, I think a lot of Heat fans would be like, "All right, look, Kendrick Nunn was sort of found money. He's 25 years old. Um, he's a really nice story, really nice season. But we don't know how high the upside is. Tyler Hero's 20." Uh, it would seem to me that any team in a trade is going to request him as a centerpiece. Is Tyler Hero, in your view, a future all-star? In other words, if Heat fans trade him, are they going to be worried, you know, that in three, four years he's going to be, you know, a regular playing, you know, in the all-star game? I wouldn't love being a Heat fan and losing Tyler Hero because of the progression, the progression that he's making this year. Um, obviously, he can shoot the ball, but as far as playmaking goes, he's showing some really good progress. Um, pick and roll, he's starting to get a better feel on defenses. He's not leaning on just his shot. He can attack and see and read sometimes. So I think that you need to see that develop and to see what you have in that. Um, obviously, the the love is going to be to cash in and get a star, but you got to like what you've seen from Tyler Hero so far. He's competitive. Um, he's not afraid of the moment. He can get hot real quick. And uh, that's all good stuff for Miami. Um, I think that's a good find. You know, I think you got to like what you see in Tyler Hero. Have, have you guys been impressed with his development or is it not what you thought it would be? No, no, big time. And I think he's Definitely. way ahead of schedule and I think way ahead of what we anticipated on draft night. I mean, you know, 80% of Heat fans didn't like the pick when it was made. Especially as a playmaker. And they right, yeah. He he's got he he has more elements to his game. I guess the question is, if if Bradley Beal is the prize and you're trying to win a championship now, I mean Pat's 75 years old. Um, you know, obviously Jimmy has a clock also and a big contract. You know that that's got to be paid out here. You know Bam's younger, but the question becomes, I mean, it's kind of a cost of doing business thing. I mean the Heat, you know, they flipped Karan Butler and Lamar Odom to get Shaq. They flipped, you know, Pat mm-hmm. flipped Glenn Rice to get Zoe. Uh, you know, he flipped Josh Richardson to get Jimmy. I mean, he, he's always made that move. If it's the cost of doing business to give up Tyler Hero and I don't know, I mean, this sounds like a lot, but even Hero and none, Hero and Robinson, let's say, Hero and draft picks, oh Hero and a re-signed DJJ to get Bradley Beal, do you do it? You do it. Yeah, I do it. Oh, I don't understand. Man. As good as he is, I don't understand. If you're going all in, you got to go all in. So... If it's if the trade is right and he's the centerpiece, then you got to make the move. Um, I just think he's played really well for them. Um, but it's the cost of doing business, man. <laughs> With the Duncan <laughs> Robinson? Oh my God! <laughs> I mean, oh I no! Mean, 
No, no, give me no, give me your worst trade for Bradley Beal. Oh, that's that was I like that question right there. Hero, none, you know, pick maybe. I mean, you throw he fans are not gonna like this one. You throw KZ Ogpala in there if you have to. <laughs> he fans really <laughs> love KZ. And I mean, I want to see him play too, but I would absolutely give up all of those things before Duncan Robinson or Bam. Obviously, I love KZ's future too, but Heat fans always love what they haven't seen. I mean, give up KZ before Duncan Robinson. I'm not even thinking about that twice. I'm sorry. I don't care how much older Duncan (laughs) Robinson is than KZ. You can't. I mean, you don't trade that type of shooting talent. Like, I mean, come on. He was the most effective three point shooter in the NBA this year. So you'd rather keep Duncan over Hero? Oh, my God. I mean, if you're trading for a Beal, I think Beal is better than whatever hero ceiling is going to be. And I'm not no NBA scout, but that's the th- the theory behind that type of trade. Whereas, like, Duncan, hero's uh, role is more closely related to Beal than Duncan. That's fair. That's fair. That that makes sense. But I, I, I'm going to pull that one, Alex. I'm not the hero part mm-hmm. of it, but the if you had to trade one, KZ or Duncan Robinson, who would you trade? Oh, my God. I'm telling you, it's going to go 50-50 because Heat fans always love the guy they haven't seen. It's it that that is that's the way it goes. And you could see Duncan Robinson make six six threes a game, and five still, years younger, five years younger, and they're still holding on to that one little sequence against Sacramento when KZ got a little run. Wow, he, played, he basically did Derrick Jones what Derrick Jones Jr. does in every game. <laughs> right, <laughs> we're, right. We're keeping Wait. him over Duncan Robinson because of that. Is him two three zone against the Kings? Wait. This is going 50-50, you said? I, I bet fans. you. I'm going to poll it after the episode. If you can only keep one for the future in a trade, <laughs> hold back one in a trade, do you hold back 20-year-old KZ? Oh, he's 20, right? 20 year no, old I think KZ, he's 21. 21. Okay, whatever. 21-year-old KZ Akpala or 20 uh, – Duncan's 26 now, right? So 26-year-old Duncan Robinson. I'm telling you it's going to go 50-50. I, I have a feel for these polls. All right, Steve, rapid fire. West, Lakers, Clippers. Lakers. Oh. Most improved yeah, play most I'm not even I'm not gonna let you just I'm just one out there. Most improved player this year, Bam or Ingram or somebody else? Bam. Okay. Bam and Duncan Robinson should get co most improved player. Mm, that's fair. But that's no. what Bam that's what Bam said, but I d I don't think that's what's gonna happen. All right, you can have one guy's future here. Zion or Luca. Oh wow. Zion. Hmm. That one I will let you elaborate. You, you think he's going to stay healthy long enough? His ceiling, as he continues to improve, is at a different level. And Luke is great, so this is tough. But you, you tell me Zion becomes consistent defensively, develops some sort of shot, can space the floor, and with that athleticism, what do you have? That's a monster. You have LeBron 2.0 or more. As, uh, yeah, as, as, great as, Luka, as great as Luka is, I don't see his ceiling at the same as Zion if Zion could figure some things out. So I said Zion. I said it. It's too late. It's too late. You can't take it. That's why I want to do this rapid fire. Giannis <laughs> wins a championship with the Bucks or not? No. Giannis leaves oh. in 2020. Follow up. Giannis leaves in 2021 or not? Yes. Oh. Toronto, Toronto, Dallas, Miami, Golden State, or somebody else for him? Golden State. Oh, wow. Yeah, I think you're Same right. Anything Matt Moore said. Yeah, I think you're, I think you're right, by the what way. What do you guys know, man? What, what is going on here? Oh, no. I don't know anything. But, well, but, but it, it, make, it makes like... sense. Here's why it makes sense. Because, oh, it would only be the most unstoppable team of all time. But it's, it's also okay to do it now. He's not going to get the same grief that Durant did because they're not coming off oh, 73 man. wins. Oh, man. <laughs> right? I completely disagree with you. Oh, I don't think so, man. I if, don't think he gets Giannis the same If Giannis goes grief. to the Warriors, he's not, I don't know if he gets the same hate as Kevin Durant, but, man, it's going to be a lot of vitriol. It's going to be a controversial thing. It's going to be like it's going to turn into like the next NBA political thing, just kind of like how Durant was. You know, it's like its own version of politics of like how you feel about KD's move to the Warriors. It's like a 50-50 thing. I think it's going to be like that. I think that's going to be extremely controversial. I mean, how do you stop that, Ethan? The idea of Giannis diving to the rim and doing – and oh, my God, with Steph and Clay out there, come on. 
I, that team is not, not I, but, but it's sorry, not LeBron. as he's, bad as losing happening. to the team and calling Draymond in the parking lot. It's not. It's he's not. Gonna, <laughs> <laughs> he's, oh my god. He he's not gonna get the same. That same. core is better to me than the the one with Durant. Steve, how it do is. you feel about that? It, I mean, they're both top tier. So basketball wise, <laughs> you, you had Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, and Klay Thompson, or Giannis, Steph Curry, and Klay Thompson. It's like arguing between two really good stakes. But Giannis is a cleaner fit, no? Oh, he he's great as far as what he can open up. But, man, Kevin Durant was a killer for that team. So I would enjoy both. That's kind of – I'm selfishly trying to see if there's another 2.0. If we and it would be a different offense than that KD team for sure, right? Oh, Very different. But yeah, oh, that's my rapid-fire answer. What you got? I got more. Come on. All right, all right, all right, all right, all right. I'm throwing, one, I'm throwing one more at you because uh, let, let's, talk, let's talk about KD here real quick. Um, does the KD Kyrie thing work with the Nets? Yes. Really? And with yes. the title? No. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't work, Steve. You can't. That oh. that's the goal of the two of them being together, right? Like oh, they think they're Kobe, Shaq, LeBron, Wade. That's what they're expecting. Oh no, no, no! I'm not going that far. Okay. They're good. They're going to be good. It's going to be better than people think it's going to work. But I don't know if they win a title. Though I think they'll go to the finals. There, I'll say that. That's a hot take. That Ooh, is. I a like hot that. Take. I like that. That, that well, I, I think that's one thing. It, uh, Heat fans are not talking about enough. He's going to be the reason that Giannis leaves because <laughs> he gets well, eliminated well, no, by KD and Kyrie. Well, it it could be, but I think Heat fans aren't talking Next about season. that enough. And I think Pat is probably thinking about that. Is that. There's this 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 contender that's going to exist starting next season that gets in the mix, and I think it does fast forward the track a little bit where it's okay before the Nets start adding to that core in a significant way. Let's try to win now. All right, in the bubble, who is your dark horse? Who who uh, I mean, let's take Lakers, Clippers, and Milwaukee out of the mix. Who's your dark horse to win the championship? Dark horse to win the championship. Can I pick two or just one? I mean, go with two, I guess. I'll let you. I'll do one from each conference. That seems more fun, right? Oh, I bet I know which one they are. Ooh. Ooh. Okay, we'll see how you match up. I have Toronto and Houston. Oh, yes. Exact same words. Yes. Damn. <laughs> I'm with you there. I agree. How does the Houston thing work that deep into the playoffs, though? I mean, I, I can understand them maybe winning a matchup that – people don't really look at on the surface, but they got to win three just to get to the finals and then win. I mean, how, how do you do that with PJ Tucker at center? Uh, you suck a defense, you suck an offense into playing slower because you're switching everything, keep everything in front. And now they're not playing as well. Okay. That'd be my guess. So stocky. And they could score. So all, all it takes is a couple series. Second of, highest offensive rating in the league. You don't They're dangerous. Do, you don't do what you do. You're in a bubble. You got James Harden with no fans. <laughs> I'm in on that theory. They're my guard. <laughs> wow, that's a good point. All right. Last one, and we're going to let Steve go. Most likely result for the Heat to leave the bubble. What, what is the most likely scenario for you? Uh, win in the first round. Mm-hmm. Lose in the second round. Oh. To Milwaukee? Yes. It was to like an anticipation there. I was like waiting to see. <laughs> that, that, that pause made me think he was going to pick the heat over the Bucks for a second. I was waiting I, to cheer. I, <laughs> I couldn't go that far. But I think they win a, they win a series. They go competitive in the second round. And, mm-hmm. But they have the upside to make a run. So mm-hmm. I'll say that. But that's my most likely prediction. They're right, just, so, they just they got to completely outshoot the Bucks. Is that what it, what it, all this is going to end up coming down to? All this like drop stuff. It, I mean, it's going to end up coming down to the Heat just completely outshooting the Bucks, right? I mean, they're going to score. Yeah. As great as they are defensively, offensively, the options. If they don't score, it's ugly and it's tough. So if they don't have a game where they're shooting or a series where they're shooting doesn't show up and they lose, it's the over. Six, that's what happens. You know. But I thought they had a good chance against Philly, and I was wrong. So. <laughs> Follow him at Steve Jones 20. We're going to give you like a rousing send off if you actually pushed through and had them beating the Bucks in seven games. But that's all right. That's all right. You got close enough. Uh, follow Steve Jones Jr. at Steve Jones 20. We're going to poll that. I'm telling you. What, what's your pre- all right, final thing? Predictions on the poll. KZ Akpala, Duncan Robinson. What are Heat fans going to say? 
Alex? Oh, oh man. I'm going to go 55-45 leaning Duncan just because he had a great game yesterday. If you would have said it after the Raptors game, it would have been the other way leading KZ. <laughs> it would have been 100-0 to zero the other direction. <laughs> I'm telling you it's going to be 50-50 split. I'm doing it as soon as we finish. Steve, thanks for the time. Appreciate it. No worries. If it's not 70-30, I will come on here and just read scripted lines that are terrible. <laughs> Duncan Robinson, just all types of Duncan Robinson analytics. Yeah, sure. Get those ready I'll for just, you. Whatever, you need, whatever you need me to read, I'll just read it. If it's seventy thirty, if it's not seventy thirty for Duncan Robinson, I will spew the t- most terrible takes and just ruin my name. We we actually have a co-host for that. Um, his name's Alfred. <laughs> oh, and, never mind. And, and, I take it off and, the board. And, 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 and he wasn't on today, but you could do it with him. Thank you, Steve. We appreciate it, man. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Five on the Floor on the Fire Regional Sports Network. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.